you may notice in my voice that I don't usually sound this raspy. I don't have that cool of a voice. Um, and so it's because of all the smoke. And so uh, we need to pray. Usually I pray that you don't hear from me, you hear from God. I'm just hoping that you hear something at this point. Um, so I'm hoping my voice lasts and all that good stuff. So uh, let's pray and uh, let's hopefully let me get out of the way and let God speak to you guys today. So would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much for just who you are. The fact that you uh, love us so much that you woke us up this morning and got us here to hear your message, God. I pray right now that you would help me disappear, that no one would even remember that I was up here this Sunday, God, but they would remember an encounter with you. God, they would remember that you love them, that you care for them, and that you have something important to say to them. So God, I pray for each person who's sitting here, God, that they'd be able to quiet that inner monologue, that to-do list in their mind, and just help them to hear your word today. God, that they'd be able to help, uh, you would help them just know that you love them, that you have a plan for their life, and you are the best thing that ever happened to them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, our scripture today is going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23, and we're actually going to go into chapter 4 and to verse 7. And so uh, we're just going to jump right into it. So you join me. It should be on the screen. Um, also, uh, if you're a Spanish speaker, I apologize that I speak no Spanish whatsoever, uh, but there will be uh, mas notas on the projector. So, um, so let's jump into it. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have been clothed clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as, there, as long as an heir is underage, he is no different than a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardians and the trustees until the time set by his father. So also we were under age. We were slaves under the elements of spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because we are his sons. God sent his spirit, of, or God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. I don't know about you guys, but I have seen this movie so many times. It's called Charlie Brown. It's the newest one that just came out. Uh, and I love this one scene where it's Charlie Brown. It's the very beginning, like, first couple scenes in it. And Charlie Brown's there. He's on the fence. And everyone's uh, going crazy because this new kid just moved into town. And it's the little redhead girl. And so he's just like dreaming at this moment. He's at the fence. We're watching everything that comes in. And they're kind of making calls. Oh, she, there's a piano. There's this. There's that. I wonder what kind of like hockey player she's going to be or this person's going to be. And they're all excited about it. And 
Charlie Brown is not actually worried about her. He's more worried about himself. And he's like, oh, man, this is a fresh start with a new kid. Uh, they, they don't know any about my past failings. They don't have any ideas about me yet. I can be a whole new person to this new, new friend. And he finds out that it's this little redhead girl, and he's like all, you know, crazy in love with her. And so he tries to do all kinds of things throughout the movie to impress this little girl. And the uh, first thing is he tries to learn how to dance, and he's, he's doing his best. He dances with his dogs, trying to figure out his groove. And then the dance comes, and then in true Charlie Brown fashion, he's, he's in the middle of his dance routine. He's doing good. He's doing good. And then his shoe flips off, hits a fire thing, and then the whole thing fills up with water and floods the whole dance, and he can't get his dance with the little girl. And then later on, he's trying to impress this little girl uh, with uh, the fact that they got paired up to be doing a book report together. And so he does the book report for her because she was out of town taking care of her grandma because she's good like that. And, and he, he thinks he's going to impress her, so he reads War and Peace and, and does this amazing book story on it. And, and, and then uh, at the last moment, before he turns it in, uh, something happens where it flings up in the air, and of course, this like plane flies by, this little toy plane, and it shreds it all up right before he can turn it in. And through all these different things, like it's constantly like he's trying to put forth this effort that he could be seen as this amazing dude, and that she would think that he's like so great, and it keeps falling flat, and he can never quite get that persona out there, that identity that he wants out there. And it's just a funny thing. It's actually, I mean, it's one of the least, like, annoying movies to watch for the 50th time. I think that's actually at my house how many times we've watched this movie. Uh, so if you're a parent, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's okay just to, like, let your kids go crazy on. Um, but what I love about that, those scenes is the fact that I think we all can be kind of, like, that's not just an idea just for Charlie Brown. We've all been there in the sense of being able to take a moment and look at ourselves and say, who do I want to be? We, we, I think we can jump into this when we do social media stuff. Like when we first jump on Facebook, Instagram, any of those things, one of the first things you do is you create a profile for yourself. You put a picture up. Usually it's your favorite picture. It's maybe one from a couple years ago, a couple pounds ago, whatever it is. Um, and it's, we put our picture out there and we're very like, okay, that's who I want to be. That's the best me in a way. And, and, and we then fill out the things that we think are important to us, what teams we like, all this kind of stuff, where we work. And, and we're really putting out there, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. And then we, you know, we are in control of what people see about us. And when it comes to social media, uh, we can, you know, that's why you see so often, you know, you want to get that good picture. So you don't just take the one picture like this. You take it up here. You know, you push down, you do all this. And, then, and if all that doesn't work, don't worry. You can swipe and you can make sure you got enough filters on you and glam it up a little bit and make sure that you're really happy, right? And, and we, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a lot of fun. I mean, when else can you be a dog face, right? And it's, just, it's a great time to just joke with your friends. And social media is not a bad thing. That's, that's not what the point of today's lesson is not about at all. Uh, remember, I'm the youth pastor. Um, uh, what, what's fun about social media is the fact that you can be connected to each other. You can, you can, I, I love the fact that I can jump online this morning and I can see how my friends in Asia are doing. And that's crazy technology. I can also see how my family in Pennsylvania is doing. 
And then I can also see what one of my youth girls is baking uh, this weekend because, you know, she just puts stuff out there that I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm glad that she's, uh, you know, living somewhere else and I can't uh, eat all the delicious things that Paige makes. Um, and just it's one of those fun things that you can just be so connected with each other. But there does become a danger when all of a sudden we become more worried about uh, how we are seen than how we are actually living our life. And that's one of those things that I think can happen a lot of times where we worry so much about how, how those pictures that we got put up or that your friend took that weren't that best angle or, or even just that you have something negative happening in your life, but you feel the need not to be able to share that with people around you. Because this isn't just simply a social media issue. This is something that we've been dealing with for years and years, right? That's the reason why you go to a family gathering and no one talks about why Uncle Hank is no longer there. Or, or when, you, uh, when you have these situations when you should be hanging out with friends that you can connect with, but instead you you'd kind of hold back because you're afraid to let them know about the marital problems that you're having or the financial issues that you're having. It's because we kind of hold back and we want to just kind of protect ourselves and protect our pride, and we're afraid to be vulnerable to each other, to say, yeah, I have these hurts in my life. I, I, I'm walking through this and that. I think it's common for us to want to protect that and just to keep giving out people that persona of who we want to be, of, of who we wish we were. And you know, the reality is, is in our society in a lot of ways highlights this fact that you should have self-discovery, that you should put out there who you want to be, fake it till you make it kind of idea, and just keep pushing that persona out there. And they highlight it like, yeah, tell people who you are. Even if you don't feel that way yet, just keep pushing that out there and that'll become your truth. And if anyone dares tell you that you're wrong about who you declare that you are, well, we'll smash them down for you. We'll tell them that they can't declare who you are. They can only declare who they self are. And we have this idea that you are in charge of who you are, that declaration of who you are. And that's, that's highlighted so much in America as this great thing. But here's the thing is we don't necessarily always have the best ideas for ourselves. We don't always have the best persona for ourselves. In fact, and it's not, like I said, not a new idea that we want to create that for ourselves. I think you could track that back all the way to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, there was this moment, you know, God had created everything and everything was very good. And then there's this conversation being had between the serpent and Eve. And it's around this tree of good and evil. And the serpent says in Genesis 3 verses 5 through 6, it says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to her eyes and uh, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was right there with her and ate it. Eve decided that she did not, Eve decided that she did not want to just be God's creation, but she wanted to make for herself her own definition of who she was. She says, it's nice that that's what what God wants me to be, but I want to be something more, more than just his creation, more than just, you know, this crown on his, his, uh, or this jewel on his crown. I want to be more than that. I want to be just like God. I want to be just like him. I want to know all the things he knows. I want to have all this wisdom that he has, all that power that he has. I want to be just like God. And so that's why she ate that fruit. And Adam, of course, just followed along with it, not doing what God had called him to do, which is be a godly leader in his family. 
And so it's this moment where we as humans decided to define ourselves, to define the relationship that we would have with God. And this happens like all throughout the Old Testament, even to present day. We see this with the Tower of Babel where humanity then builds up this tower and says that we will be a great people without God. And they create this big tower and and God humbles them by confusing their language. And and then this constantly happens with the Israelites. They're constantly following God and then they're like, well, you're nice, God, but we're going to go do our own thing. And they try to become a people who are without God, who are doing their own thing and worshiping these other gods. And God constantly has to humble them. He has to call them back. And when life hits them hard, he ends up being the God who also says, I'm there for you. I love you. And I have the best thing in store for you. And that's where Paul kind of jumps into things with our scripture today. Excuse me, my throat is killing me. Uh, So Galatians 23, and we're jumping right back in. (coughs) Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith until the faith that has oh sorry faith that was to come would be re- revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. What Paul is saying here is he's talking about this guardianship that the law had over us. Think of this as like a living nanny. Because that's kind of the language that he's using here. He's saying the, the law was there to guide us. And what, what happened a lot of times in this, uh, in this uh, time period is that this, this uh, son uh, would actually be uh, taught under a servant, and they would actually, the servant would be in charge of uh, making sure that this uh, uh, heir would know right from wrong, that they would actually have the ability to, diso- or to punish them if they were disobedient, also, they were in charge of making sure that their studies were good. Like, they were basically their nanny. They were the, the parenting of this child. And that's what this, uh, what Paul's kind of conveying that the law is to us. It's to teach us right from wrong. It's to, to guide us in life, and it was to parent us. But then uh, there's also this thing where at a certain time, according to when the father had declared, the age of the child would come to be, and then uh, they would be like no longer under this servant. They'd actually be over the servant. But this servant wouldn't have never been like disgraced or pushed to the side. It would have been like a family member. And so we, they were to honor this servant and, and treat him like family. In that same way, the law was there to give us parenting. Uh, like I said, teach us right from wrong. And so what's interesting, and I think most of you who have adult children might know this even better than I do, is there's this interesting like, dynamic that happens. And I get to see it because I'm in youth ministry and children's ministry, and I've been around for now a dozen years in that genre. And, and so I've got to see parents who parent kids and then parent teenagers and then parent adults. And there's just a different relationship that happens through all of those stages. And I'm getting to experience those as well now, being a father. You know, there's the baby stage, which is just simply I call the don't die stage, which is just like, don't eat that, don't swallow that battery, don't touch those wires, just please, baby, do not die. You know, that's that's like the first two years of their life. You know, there's some guys who live into that to their 30s, but you know, there's most of us grow out of that after the first couple years. It's just like, don't die, common sense, just you're going to be okay. And then shortly after that, your, your job as a parent is really to start teaching them right from wrong. 
you know, and then that's, that's where I'm at with my boys a lot right now is, you know, don't push, don't steal, uh, don't uh, take whatever you want to, you know, uh, lying is bad, telling me the truth is good, forgiveness is good, those kind of just morality things where you're trying to install God's truth into their life and say, these are the things that you need to be doing, these are the things that you can't be doing. Then there becomes somewhat of a transition when they hit around junior high age, those teenage years, where it stops being so much about like helping them understand every single decision that is right and wrong, and them starting to take that on themselves. And sometimes this is when maybe they stop listening to you parents as much, right? It's like you're talking to them and they're just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And and they just don't hear it as much. And you can start to feel like, man, everything I throw at them, they just don't receive as much. And it just gets harder to talk to them. And then that really happens even more in high school because they start to really come in charge of who they want to be. They start making their own decisions and they start asking questions maybe and they start hearing you, but they are hearing you with a lot more skepticism. You know, they don't just receive everything that you have for them. They're like going to ask you some questions and challenge you, uh, maybe challenge you a lot if you, like I was, uh, my poor mom. Uh, and it was just, it, high school is so much of that testing ground. And then that continues on into a bit of adulthood but then there's this transition. It's about like the early 20s, mid-20s that you see this transition where the kid really starts to want to reach out to their parents again, where they're reconnecting with them in a lot of ways, and they're, they're starting to understand their parents a lot more. I had such a crazy moment when I was the age that uh, my mom was when she had me, and I didn't have kids yet, and I was like, I don't know nothing about kids, and she had me at this age. Like, that was such a big moment to realize, like, yeah, my mom's not perfect, and she would be the first one to tell you she's not perfect, but, man, to have to figure out as much life that she had to figure out at that age just really made me gain so much respect for her and love for her. And so you start to change, and, and I mean, the other part of it is simply because they start to realize that the food doesn't just magically show up in your refrigerator at their house like it does at your house, and so they want to come over a little bit more often and, you know, allow you to treat them in those ways. And so the relationship changes. And what's cool and what's amazing is that, you know, when you look at the Old Testament, you see this same kind of trend of maturity from a baby to adulthood in the same relationship that God has with humanity. You know, I would say that uh, in, in the beginning, in Genesis and Exodus, you see so much of God reaching out to his people and saying, don't die. Like, don't die. Just try to hang on. Try to not do what is wicked. Try to just listen to me. Just hang on, and I'll I'll tell you more about what you ought to be doing. And then it really takes off in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And that's really when God's reaching out to his people, and he's trying to teach them the right from the wrong. Remember, we didn't know anything. We were left to our own. When we were like came out of the garden, we had no true knowledge of good and evil. We thought we'd take a bite of that apple and have all this wisdom instantly. How many of us have ever learned anything instantly in that way, where we just took a pill and we learned everything that we needed to know. That's never happened to any of us. We're humans. We're, we, we learn slowly. We forget constantly. And, and so we had to learn the hard way and the long way. And so God is teaching us in that same fashion where he's guiding humanity along that course. And so you see that all the way to, to David and his son, and, and God's constantly trying to teach him right from wrong, and we constantly are failing. And then we get to those rebellious teenagers of humanity, and that's when we're seeing like First Kings and, and, and all of those years where, where the people of Israel are constantly rebelling against God and, and they're trying, sometimes they'll follow God and life will go good and then they'll run away from him again and they're rebelling against him constantly. 
And the high school years of, of the Israelite people are really uh, dark as well with Isaiah. And things get a little weird with Daniel and, and a little uh, dark at times. But all through those times, God is constantly pointing to this person, this time when the Messiah would come and the relationship would be different. When all of a sudden there would be a transition of hope and that we would no longer be this rebellious people, but God would dwell inside of us, that we would be at a time where we could mature enough to understand what was happening. Because I think if the Messiah would have come in Genesis, we would have missed it. We would have never accepted it. And so God knew at the perfect moment, at the perfect time, that he was going to re-enter into human history and he was going to say, you are ready to receive this next thing. And it's 2,000 years later, and we're still living into that. If Jesus came, and all of a sudden, the whole game changed. And so that's what we see that Paul's calling us in Galatians 3, uh, chapter, or verse 26 and uh, on. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are our children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized in Christ and have been clothed yourself in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor uh, free uh, nor male nor and female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Paul is saying, now that Jesus had died, or has, has come and died and rose again and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, that the relationship is different. We are no longer people who are under the law, just captives waiting for that time that maybe we could reach out to God. But we are now at a time where we can have a full connection with God in our hearts. And he calls them to be children of God, to allow that to be who they are in their hearts and minds, to make that be the thing that people notice most about them. Notice the things he hits on. He, say, he talks about the fact that they, you know, they're neither uh, Jew nor Gentile. He hits on their ethnicity. He says, nor slave nor free, that's their social status in life, nor male or female, their gender. Those three things are the things that society nowadays are like the things that say, this should describe who you are, your ethnicity, your status in society, and your gender. Those things are most important in, in our society. We so much say, declare whichever things you want to be, and that's what we'll say that you are. And what God is saying, what Paul is saying through Paul is saying more important than all those things is that you're a child of God. And that it should be more a part of your identity than any of those things. When you first think of yourself, don't think of yourself like we are commonly, I think, designed to do or think that we should do, which is, you know, your race. Well, I'm half white, half Mexican. Uh, I'm male and, you know, I'm middle of the road income and all that stuff. And so, you know, that, that's who I am. No, what I should first think of myself is I'm a child of God. And all those other things, yeah, they're, they're there. It's not that ethnicity or any of those things are bad. No, that's just flavor on top of the cake. That's icing right there. And, and, but we need to remember what the cake is. We need to remember what the most important thing is. Because when we build our lives on those other things, they constantly will try to pour into themselves those things and say, this is the most important things. And it, does, it can be beyond that. It could be your job. It can be relationships. It can be uh, the fact that you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a parent, you're a child, whatever those things are. It could be you're a student, you're a, you're a boss, you're a worker. Whatever those things are, we can pour our lives in and say, this is who I am. This is the most important thing that you should know about me. And those things will just 
fall apart. They will not give us life. We'll pour into those things, and at some point, those things will go away. At some point, you will retire from your job. At some point, that relationship will end because death is a thing. And you have to start to understand that you need to build your life on the fact that you are a child of God first. And that gives you life. That gives you the ability to do life so much better than anything else. And when you start to understand that that you are a child of God and how much that can change your entire life, all of a sudden it amplifies. It makes life so much better because now your relationships are not, you're not just relying on your spouse to give you love, your partner to give you love. You have love from God to share with your partner, to share with your spouse, to say, I love you because God loves me and I, all this, he's just pouring so much love into my heart. I don't know what to do with it. You take some. You should, I'll share it with you. And, and then you go to your kids and yeah, they can drain a lot out of you. But if you're letting God pour into your life and you're owning that you're a child of God, you pour that love that God has given you into their life as well. And you say, kids, I love you because God loves you and you are a child of God. And that's most important. And you are a better employee because you are a child of God. Because you understand that you're not just working for a company and clocking in and clocking out. You realize that God has placed you there to be a blessing to that company, just like Joseph was. Joseph did all kinds of things when he was alive. He was in prison, and he just ran the prison. Like, he was a prisoner and was helping run the prison, and that prison was successful. That's weird to sound, right? Like, how do you describe a successful prison? I guess, like, I don't know. Uh, but and the prison was successful, and, and, and then he worked in a, a house of a person. He was a servant, and the, the, the house was just thriving. And then later on, uh, he was the right hand to, the, to Egypt, and, and Egypt was successful. And all that happened because he understood that God had a blessing in his life and he was sharing God's blessing wherever he was. That's the same way that we can be when we go to our jobs. We can be, understand that God has a blessing for your employer because you were there. Not because he's just blessing the business, but because he placed you there for a reason. And it's not just so that your boss gets rich. It's there because you, he wants you there to share your, his love with people around you. That people would be like, why do you work so hard? It's because God loves you. And I want, to, I want to show you that God is not a lazy God. He has the best thing in store for you. He wants the best thing, life uh, that he has for you is, is just to follow God. And so people will ask you questions when you're a different kind of employee. And so God will do this constantly through your life. Is he'll pour into you. And when you understand that you are a child of God, it changes everything and it amplifies your life in so many greater ways. You care for your community more because God loves your community and he puts you there for a reason. So Paul kind of wraps this back up in chapter four of Galatians, verses one through seven. So I'm gonna read that with you guys. It says, what am I to say? Or what am I saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to the guardian and the trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we are underage, we were, sla- uh, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might be receive adoption to sonship 
That's a status, by the way, not just for the guys. It's for both of us. Because you are his sons. God sent, his, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. So I have a couple questions for you guys. First one is, who are you? What is the foundation of your identity? That's a big question, right? Russ gave me one Sunday, so I had to like try to cram it all in on one Sunday. That's a big question to kind of like try to wrap your head around. Who are you? What is your identity? And I think a lot of times we really find out who we are in those hard times. When life's not going super good, then we like those stressful moments in life and we really start to understand who we are. I, I, I'm someone who loves to watch movies and I love stories and uh, my wife always says I'm listening to too much. Like I just love to consume podcasts and stories and books and I just love stories. Uh, so there is, when I was thinking about this, there's always this constant theme in a lot of movies where uh, there's this hero and they're going through a trial or a, a time of distress and someone will call out to him, remember who you are. You see this all the way back with Lion King, when Simba is like having this crisis of who he is, and then uh, 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 Mufasa comes in this amazing cloud, and there's a moment where he says, remember who you are, you know, and, and, and it's just a, like an amazing, awesome moment. And as like a third grade Greg, I was like, that's awesome. Um, so, uh, and, but even just recently with the Black Panther, you know, there's a moment where he's fighting it out in this scene, and he's, it's for the kingship, and, and he's starting to lose, oh man, uh, spoiler, by the way, um, and... And all of a sudden, his, uh, his mom calls out to him, remember who you are. And it's just an awesome moment. It's not like it gives you chills. I did in the movie theater. I got all excited because I'm a nerd. Um, and, it, and he, like, all of a sudden at that moment, it's just like this overwhelming, like, strength and power that all of a sudden he remembers that he was made to be a king. He has this strength inside of him, and he just kind of calls it out, and he wins the fight. And so... It's just this thing, and I think, you know, for us as children of God, we can make that same chant in our life, but it's a little different. I think instead of remember who you are, it's remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. You are God's child. He has adopted you into his family, not because you, were, not because you deserved it, not because you were born into it, but because he saw you and he chose you and he said, you are mine you are my child. I claim you as my son. I claim you as my daughter. And you have enough inside you. I have given you my spirit inside of you to call me father, to call me dad. Call upon that. And when you do, all of a sudden you'll have wisdom that you never realized that you had. That's biblical wisdom, unparalleled hope, and life-changing love to share with people around you. Remember whose you are. And you'll be amazed at how different life can be when you remember that you are a child of God. Here's my second question for you, and this one is for you to take home and and talk over lunch. So I need to remember my question. How can you do life different with an understanding that you are a child of God? What part of your life do you need to kind of make a change to? What's that part that you're, you're doing on your own strength or, or you're really just, you're, you're saying, oh, this is, this, I'm just going to own this part of my life, God. What part do you need to kind of give over and say, no, because I'm a child of God, I'm going to do this differently. 
I leave that question to you and the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much that you chose us, that you look at us and you don't just see a strange bunch of people, but you see your sons and your daughters. And God, I pray for anyone right now who doesn't know you as Father, God, that they would feel the, the welcome to your family here at Sunrise. They'd feel the warmth of your embrace, and they would know that they are not here by mistake, but you called them to wake up. You called them to this church, and you called them at this moment to be able to reach out to you and say, hey, Dad. God, I pray if anyone's here having that moment, God, that they would be willing to talk to myself or, or any of the elders, God, and, and they'd be willing to just make that relationship uh, official, God, that they would commit to you and understand that you have the best thing in store for them. I thank you that you give us that wisdom, that power, and that authority to love you. And God, I thank you that we don't have to do life without you. It's your name we pray.